Amen. All right, let's get our Bibles out. Open up to Psalm 73. We'll start in Psalm 73. You'll find that on page 688 on the Pew Bible in front of you. Psalm 73. And we'll transition at the end into some scripture out of Revelation. We laid a foundation last week, talked about uh, heaven, maybe in a way in which you have never been exposed to or thought about. And I'm just grateful to God as He's used the Scripture to open our eyes. And now we're going to pray tonight that He'll continue to do the same thing as we reflect on such an important and wonderful, amazing truth out of God's Word. So let's pray and ask His blessing on our time together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We confess now it's perfect, inerrant, meant for us. It's our greatest earthly possession. We thank You, Lord Jesus, for giving us Your words directly from Your mouth. And Father, we pray now that these words would just work in our hearts and in our minds, would illuminate and ignite our imagination and fill us with a a longing and anticipation just the way they're meant to do. Father, thank You for being so truthful, so forthright, and telling us exactly that which we need to hear. And we thank You for that, God. We ask now You give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and we might give You glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's... uh, as we look at Psalm 73 and we, we think about uh, this Psalm of Asaph and, and just the way in which God is going to prepare us tonight for where we're going to go, I, I just want to confess to you that when we start having this conversation about heaven, you have to know from the very beginning that we are in over our heads. Well, we just are. And that even with the amount of information that I have in Scripture... It is a challenge to uh, squeeze things down so that I can uh, condense it into some sort of a a segment that I can then teach to you in one sitting. It's uh, we are we are swimming in uh, the deep end of the splendor of God. And uh, when when I think about these scriptures that we'll look at tonight, it's I feel like a a five-year-old that is, that's just looking at the complexities of the solar system and, and just utter and complete bewilderment at what I'm seeing and, and knowing that I'm just uh, completely uh, just inept at, at trying to really probe the depths of everything that we have uh, in, in front of us. And knowing that what we have in Scripture is just a little glimpse. It's just a, 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 just a, a, a fleeting thread of what... Uh, heaven actually is and everything that it, it, it's about. So God has called us to set our minds on things that are above. This is very important to talk about. It's a, one of the most neglected discussions in Christianity. It's a true, honest, biblical conversation about heaven. And it's, uh, it's terrible that that's true because what tonight will begin to do as last week started is it will begin to resonate in your heart and it will have drastic effects on your today and your tomorrow and your this week as you reflect on the things that uh, God will show us. And all of the silliness that Hollywood has put in our heads will begin to just dissipate uh, in light of that which is true. So 
Let's read Psalm 73, Psalm of Asaph, verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge in abundance. They have more than, uh, than a heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. You see, Asaph is, is describing the struggle that we all face where we, we see earthly success and earthly things and how it builds this tension in our heart when we see the success of people in the earth who do wicked wickedness. And He's setting us up. He's drawing us in. So just let Him draw you in. Verse 10, Therefore, His people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how you are brought to desolation as in a moment they're utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. Oh, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you, they shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all your works. What a tremendous passage of Scripture. Now let's talk just a little bit about how Asaph gets us to this conversation about heaven. I want you to notice some of the harsh things that he has to say uh, with regards to those who are uh, apart from God, those who are the, the unbelievers, those who reject God. The first thing that I want us to see is that those who reject Christ will perish forever. They're, they won't just perish, but they will continually perish forever. Look at verse 18. He says, Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. You see, they're going to 
they're going to fall into ruin. They're going to go to ruin. Verse 19 says they're going to be destroyed. Oh, how you brought to desolation as in a moment. They're utterly consumed with terrors. Verse 20 says that they're going to be despised as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Verse 27, for indeed those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. That phrase, all those who desert you for harlotry, it's, it's like it's saying those, everyone who is unfaithful to you. That word harlotry, it doesn't mean it the way we think it. It's about unfaithfulness of a harlot. That's the way that, that God wants us to see that. So I just want to ask you a couple questions in light of some of the current uh, discussions that are circulating about heaven. With regards to this passage and what it has to say about hell. Does this passage and what I just read to you about hell, does this sound like the default, some sort of default place? In other words, if this is true of hell, then is it possible that heaven could just be a default place where everyone goes, where all the good people end up and that, and that somehow there's a few people that are bad or maybe Satan and his demons go to hell, but everyone else gets to go to heaven? Does Psalm, 70, does, does Psalm 73 sound like uh, that it could, it could some way possibly depict a heaven where everybody just gets a free pass? Or is it clearly, is the Bible clearly and definitively laying out that only those who belong to God, who've been purchased by the blood of Christ, only those who are His, who are close to Him, who, are, who follow Him, will go to heaven? You see, the Bible, whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, is going to affirm over and over in a thousand different ways that all the inhabitants of heaven are those who have relied upon Christ and Christ alone. That there's no, there's no wavering. That there's this definitive line in the sand that's drawn whenever the Bible is talking about eternity. And with regards to Jesus, He's always the door. He's always the way. He's always the one through whom access to heaven comes. And the reality of hell should startle us a little bit. It should rattle us. Notice even, even the psalmist gets rattled by, by what is going on in the, in the psalm. He, he's going through all of these horrific, destructive things that, that happen. And then he even gets rattled. He even is, is shocked as if he's, he's been missing this. He, see, the turning point in the psalm is, is verse 17. He's, he's pent up with all this uh, confusion and, and everything that's going on because the world seems to be going and prospering in the wrong direction. And so he's starting to, to struggle with the reality of heaven and all the things that he believes just the same way we do. You know, that if you've ever spent any time, you know, just like socially and casually around somebody who is an unbeliever, but who seems to have access to all of the luxuries that the world has to offer. And it just kind of, uh, you know, it just sort of bothers you. And they seem to just live with such ease and such leisure and everything seems to go right for them. And you sort of wonder, you, you feel this sense of injustice somehow. Well, that's what's going on with with the, the psalmist is that he's. He's 
trying to sort through everything that is, is going on. But, but in Psalm 17, I mean, in verse 17, he, he, he comes into the sanctuary of God. He comes around the people of God and suddenly he has clarity. It says, then I understood their end. Then I understood the, the, the things that they were actually going to face. And then in verse 21, he says, thus my heart was grieved. Because he realized, wait a second. See, I was frustrated with them because they were wicked. And I was frustrated with them because it seemed like that they were prospering in their wickedness. But then when I found out what is actually going to happen, when the curtain is pulled back to eternity and you get to get a glimpse into what the what the doctrine of hell is really about, you're rattled and startled. And even even in the in the fiercest anger and frustration, you start to feel pity and remorse and great agony over their doom because it's so horrible and it's so terrible. In 2 Thessalonians, here's what Paul says in chapter 1. Since it is a righteous thing that God, for God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Now, he's talking to the church at Thessalonica that we talked about this morning. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven and with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Verse 10, he goes on to say, when he comes in that day, for what purpose? To be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. But you see the startling difference between the vengeance of God on those who don't believe. And then, then the scripture just turns. I mean, there's just this instantaneous transition from this Punishment of everlasting destruction. And then it says, when He comes in that day to be glorified among His saints and to be admired. That these are two distinctly different categories of eternity. And so that's the first point I want us to see. The second point is, is that your deepest identity right now is found in your eternal destination. We talked a little bit about this last week, that... What defines you most deeply and completely? What makes you who you are? I'm always interested to hear the way that somebody describes themselves to, to someone who doesn't know them in their own words. You know, if I were to, if, if I were to ask you, well, you know, how would you describe yourself so that I can tell them? What do you want me to tell them about you? What will you say? And, and the thing about it is, is that so oftentimes we describe ourselves based on our uh, position in life. We, we use terminology about our, that, that have to do with maybe our marital status or our education level or something about our, our you know, economic position or our job or vocation or what we do. But you see, all of those things are just variables about you. None of those things are permanent. You do realize that, right? They're not even permanent in this life. I mean, we go through, you're not this, if you use that to describe yourself, you're not the same now as you were a decade ago. And then two decades ago, it was different from that. And then, so basically, you've been a lot of different people through the course of your life based on that 
response. But I would submit to you that you've only been two people tonight. If you're saved tonight, you've been two people. You've been lost and you've been found. That's the only two people you've ever been. And once you're found, it's it. That's it. That is your identity. You are, you are a citizen of heaven. That's your identity. That's who you are. That's what should matter most about how you respond to the world around you, how you make decisions, how you prioritize things. Everything about you should be mostly and, and, and at the highest level impacted by your eternal destination. I read a funny story this week about a, uh, uh, a, a, a person who was opening a new location of their business. A very successful businessman was opening another location. And so they were sort of having the ribbon cutting and a big fancy ceremony. And so one of his friends uh, who wasn't able to be there sent flowers and a, and a card just to say, hey, congratulations, you know, on your your new business venture and everything. And so when the florist brought the flowers, uh, he opened up the card and the card said, uh, rest in peace. And so he realized that something had gone awry. So he called the florist and was upset with the florist because the florist had sent him the, this, the wrong card. And so he's telling the florist, you know, giving him the business about messing everything up. And the florist said, well, sir, I understand that you're upset, but, you know, as a consolation, at least think about that somewhere right now there's a funeral going on and somebody got flowers at that funeral and the card said, good luck in your new location. And that's very uh, poignant to what we're talking about, that... Our identity should be based on the fact that we're headed for a new location. That we're only temporarily here. And really, that's the, that's the most important thing about you. Is that this isn't your home. That is the most important thing about you. This, this isn't my home. This isn't what I was made for. My Father's in heaven. And I'm not going to be here forever. Philippians 3 Apostle Paul says our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed into His glorious body according to the working by which He is able to even subdue all things to Himself. You see, the value of having a conversation like we're having tonight is that it will keep your affections from getting uh, distracted by earthly things. That that dwelling on the fact that this isn't your home will, will safeguard your heart against getting wrapped up in things that are uh, of, of really of zero value compared to the things we're talking about. You see, it's hard to... It's easy to get all twisted around into all the trinkets of this world until you start thinking about the fact that, wait a minute, this isn't my home. I'm not a citizen of this place that I'm going to heaven. And then it suddenly begins to push things into perspective. You know, whenever somebody, I'm talking to somebody about eternity or glory, and, you know, I, I hear a statement like, you know, I want Jesus to come back. I really do. But I really hope that I have an opportunity to 
to travel before he comes back. You ever heard anybody say something like that? Or they say, I want Jesus to come back, but I hope I get to, you know, see my kids get married before he comes back. You know, that's like saying, I wanted to go see the Grand Canyon, but instead I went out in the backyard and looked at the ditch behind my house. That's how absurd that statement is. It's the, the splendor of heaven is to what we know here on earth as a safari in Africa is to a bunch of stuffed animals in a circle on the floor of your first grader's room. I mean, that's literally the... It, it's. It's so, you can't even make a comparison. You can't even draw, it's hard to even draw parallels. And the fact that some of us would lose sight of glory in such a way that we'd actually want God to hesitate a minute as if that has any bearing on anything. So that we could somehow experience something in this broken down world. It it just shows the ignorance about what heaven actually is. So let's get to the good part. The third thing I want us to focus on is that our greatest joy and adventure is yet to come. The greatest joy and adventure that you can ever conceive of, that you could ever possibly imagine is yet to come. That you should continually, as we're going through all of these things, your heart should just long to to be here and just... I was telling somebody the other day that, uh, you know, I told you last week, this is a dangerous thing to meditate on and think about. It really is. Because what will happen, what happens to me is that if, I, if, if I'm studying these passages about heaven and they're just rattling through my mind for days on end, I think things that I shouldn't think. I think things like um, I'd be driving down John Clark and... And a a big garbage truck will go whizzing past me. And I would think just in that moment as it was as we were passing, I would think if that thing just eased over five feet, I'd be there right now. I just think about that. I don't you know, but it's just so I just think that how close I am to it. And I think about I think about the people that I miss so dearly that are there and I think about what they're doing and I think about what they're experiencing and I, oh, it just, it, it just makes your, it's hard to come back. You see, in, in Psalm 73, and then we're going to say goodbye to Psalm 73, I just want you to see how at the end of this, how like in verse 24, it says, you, Guide me with your counsel, and then afterwards, receive me to glory. It seems like it's a simple statement. But what the psalmist is saying, he's saying that that all this time, as I've been struggling through everything, you guided me with your counsel, but then in the end, I, I die and I'm received into glory. That your glory, I'm in the presence of your glory. And not only that, I'm in the presence of you, because then he says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. Do you know that that scripture in verse 25? The psalmist isn't saying there's nothing on earth that I desire. 
The psalmist is saying, there's nothing on earth that I desire in light of you. That's what I'm saying. The more you think about Him and and His glory and being in His presence, everything just starts to fade away. It's like the the soul-thrilling delight of imagining what it would be like to see Him face to face. As the Bible says in 1 John 3, Beloved, now we are children of God and it is not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. My goodness. And so the psalm ends by saying, but it's good for me to draw near to God. You see, it's good. It's good for me to be near you. I put my trust in you that I may declare all of your works. Now, just listen as I read. You can turn to Revelation. These verses will come up on the screen. But I just want to read you some scriptures out of Revelation 21 and 22 to sort of frame what we're going to say for the rest of the night. In Revelation 21, here's what the Bible says, beginning in verse 1. John, the revelator, says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there were no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God wiped away every tear from their eye, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. The former things have passed away. And then He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And then the next chapter, beginning in verse 1 of Revelation 22, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding down from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was a tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him and shall see His face, and His name shall be upon their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. You see, what what happens the very millisecond that a person takes their last breath on earth. What happens? Well, the Scriptures teach us that absence from the Lord is to be present, absence from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that the minute we are absent from the body, the minute we are done with our time on this earth, we are present with the Lord, those who are His, those who have been saved by the Lord Jesus. And so let's talk a little bit about what does that mean to be present with the Lord? You know, because I think that sometimes uh, maybe people who who tend to be a little bit more conservative in their thinking, and I think that's rightly so and safe and good, and I certainly would fall into that category. Sometimes we might have a tendency to to minimize heaven uh, because we are being so careful that we don't get into speculation, but it almost sounds boring. But the problem is, is that some people are just taking all sorts of liberties and making up all sorts of crazy things about heaven that's not even true at all. 
So let's just talk about what is true and how the Bible guarantees beyond a shadow of a doubt that there could be nothing boring about being in heaven. There could be nothing about being in heaven that could leave you wanting for more. The first reason why is, notice that the scripture says there in Revelation 22, and he showed me a pure river of the water of life. It was clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb in the middle of its streets. And on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, just in those two passages of Scripture, you see that, that creation has taken on a whole new form. That we don't know anything about any kind of tree like that. We've never seen any anything on earth that in any way, shape, or form would lead us to go. You don't read those two passages and go, yeah, 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 that sounds like that time we were on vacation, you know. And No. That, that we're, we're in a whole new realm. We're, we're somewhere that is utterly and completely brand new. I mean, you, you think about the, the most beautiful place that you've ever seen in your life. Whatever that may be. And I'm, I can promise you it's not more beautiful than what I've seen. It just can't be because I'm sure the closest place to heaven on earth has got to be YPO Valley on the big island of Hawaii. It is the most spectacular place you could ever imagine. I was going to put some pictures on here, but I didn't. But maybe I'll show you some next week. But I used to go there when I was a teenager and... My goodness, the, and just when I, when I look at pictures of that place, I just think, I can't even believe that I got to go there. That I could just go there anytime I wanted to. It was just unbelievable. And there's 350 foot waterfalls and, and black sand beach and, and just total, you know, there's, there's no tall buildings. There's no paved roads. It's just like, it's just paradise. It's absolute paradise. And it just looks like a slum compared to heaven. It's just a complete and utter slum. Because in this, in this creation, in this perfect, extraordinary, uh, ultimate creation, God has created something that will, will intrigue us, that we will be exploring the infinite beauty of forever. Listen to this uh, statement by a, ma- a writer named Dan Schaefer who wrote a book called A Better Country Preparing for Heaven. He says, God has made us to explore and to discover with great delight. We use things like spaceships and submarines because we need them, because our bodies are not perfectly fitted to explore the world in which we live. But Jesus in His glorified body, which is the prototype of the one that we'll one day have, was able to ignore the physical obstructions of our planet like Walls and gravity and density and other things. That though he was physical himself, he vanished and then he reappeared. He passed through solid walls. He floated up to heaven defying gravity. Our new bodies will be made perfectly to explore the new heaven and the new earth. We have heard the phrase in history, the golden age of exploration. But in reality, that age lies ahead of us, not behind us. That's what's ahead. is a... Creation that is going to amaze us and astound us at every turn forever and ever and ever. And it will never end. It will never even, will never even uh, scratch the surface of everything that's there. So there's going to be this 
this unbelievable beauty and this, this infinite exploration. The second thing I, I think the Bible teaches us that guarantees that, that heaven is beyond our wildest dreams is that we will spend an eternity meeting new people, but in a very unique and spectacular way. The Bible says in Revelation 7 verse 9, that after these things, I look, John says, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Which makes me start thinking to myself, here's this multitude that, that, that cannot be counted, that's in heaven, that's worshiping God, and, and that's, you know, that, that's inhabiting this amazing new place. And so while we're there, how are we going to interact with all these people? Have you ever thought about how is all that going to take place? Like, are we going to just sort of, you know, show up there and then sort of hang around the people that we knew in this life? Or, you know, is there going to be like a little Michael Memorial section over there in heaven? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, people want to know, like, am I going to know my family members? Yeah, you're going to know your family members but not in the way you think you're going to know your family members. You're going to know your family members better than you ever knew them in this life. You're going to know them in a newer, deeper way than you ever knew them here. No matter how deep that was, it'll be better and, and, and beyond your wildest imagination. But not only that, you're going to know everyone in heaven better than you've ever known anyone in this life. That, that in heaven, you will... Meet new people, but you will you will know them as if they were your the best friend you ever had on earth. You see, even when you meet people that went on to glory before you got a, an opportunity to see them, well, maybe great grandparents or something like that when you were really young and they they passed away and went to heaven and you you get to heaven well you'll know who they are and they'll know who you are but you won't seem young to them and they won't seem old to you you will know them as you're known think about when jesus encountered people think about the way he knew them just think about for example the the woman at the well and how he knew her he knew everything about her he knew everything about her past he knew everything he knew everything about her future he knew her we will know as we've been known. We're gonna, you're going to know people in a, in a, at a level of intimacy that you can't imagine. You're also going to know people that you never met. You're going to know babies who were, who were stillborn. You're going to know. We're going we're gonna to know children who were aborted. We're going to know them and they're going to know us. But... I mean, in 2 Samuel 12, where David says after his son dies, he says, I will go to him, but he cannot return to me. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, David, the Bible says that David is in heaven. And so when David says, I can go to him, but he can't come to me. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that, that he's in heaven and David's going to go to him, but he can't come to he can't come to us. And so David's in heaven. And when David got to heaven, then his son was there. And his son knew who he was. And he knew who his son was. But his, his son didn't, wasn't an infant, didn't seem small. And he didn't seem old or didn't seem big. That somehow there was a, a level of intimacy where they would know each other in such a way that 
It was as if they've always known each other. You see, here's the thing. You gotta, you really gotta think this through. You see, when you, and we're all different, we're all the same, we all do this, but we do this to different degrees. See, some of you are like I was before I got saved. I was very, very shy. And I wouldn't walk into a room with people in it that I didn't know. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't walk up and introduce myself to strangers. I was just a shy person. Some of you might be that way. Some of you might feel a little uncomfortable if you walk into a room filled with people and you don't know anybody in that room. And some of you might be like my wife who just charges right on in there. Used to drive me crazy when we first got married because she just had no, there's no boundary, you know. She just doesn't care and I don't know how to do that. Why are we that way? When you feel shy and hesitant about meeting new people, what is that in you? It's brokenness, isn't it? It's things in you that are broken. It's, it's insecurity. It's, you've been wounded. You've been hurt. You don't want to hurt other people. You don't want to be hurt. You've been, you see, you weren't, you became that way because of things that have happened to you. So sin causes us to lack the ability to share intimacy with one another. You understand that? That that's why we feel insecure and that's why we feel shy and that's why we feel standoffish and protective and closed in. Well, in heaven, there won't be any of that. You see, in heaven, you won't, you'll never meet a person in heaven for all of eternity. This, this multitude that can't be counted. The minute you encounter someone you've never met before, there'll be no shyness, no insecurity. There'll be no hesitation. There'll be no, because there's no sin. There's no brokenness that everything in you is whole. It's the way it was meant to be in the beginning. And you see, so there's going to be this, this camaraderie and this fellowship that just blooms for eternity because there's this uncountable multitude of people and we're going to just intermingle and know. And, and so you're going to have intimate, close, beautiful, fabulous relationships better than any relationship you've ever had on earth multiplied a million times over. That's how how would that ever get boring or old? You see, that that's the thing is that people, you know, we sometimes that, that I talk with people and they've been married for for an extraordinary amount of time, 50 years. Or I just read an article uh, a week or two ago about a couple that was married for 72 years. They died within an hour of each other. And in the article it said that when when they passed away they were holding each other's hands. For 72 years they've been married. How extraordinary is that? What I want you to understand is that when they got to heaven they knew people in heaven in a better, closer, more intimate way than they knew the person they were married to on earth for 72 years. Because, see, here, sin puts a barrier around us no matter what. No matter how 
close you think you are, no matter how special your relationship is, and it may be in this lifetime, but it doesn't compare to what is to come. Relationally, it is, it is unthinkable how spectacular our friendships and relationships will be in heaven. The third reason why heaven's too spectacular to imagine is that we're going to be just engulfed in a symphony of praise. You see, this is one of the things I've been waiting to talk about because this is one of the areas where I feel like there's the most confusion about heaven. Is this issue of this this ongoing, forever, eternal praise. Because, well, let me just tell you what Scripture says. Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. Then I looked, John says, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. And they were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And as wonderful and amazing as that sounds, when we put ourselves in that situation, it's sort of like, hmm. See, I'm not sure that singing forever is, is really jazzing me up. I'm just going to be honest. I mean, if I could sing like Rod, I'd probably be a little bit more excited about it. But if you heard me sing, you'd know. I'm not, I'm not real thrilled about it. Now, will I be able to sing in heaven? Yeah. I won't have the sin-cursed voice I have right now. We were laughing the other night about... In fact, last Sunday night we were talking about heaven and we got talking about my father-in-law, the worst singer who's ever lived on the planet Earth. And we thought, he's probably carrying a tune up in heaven right now. And I can't imagine that because here he would just make my ears bleed. It was so bad. I, I call him the... He's a prisoner singer. He was... When we're singing a song, he was behind a few bars and he could never find the right key. <laughs> he was, it was bad. Okay, so what about this singing forever, right? Well, first of all, I want you to think about, is heaven going to be this, you know, are, are we going to be spend thousands of years singing the same chorus over and over and over. Is that what that's going to be like? Well, first of all, if that's the case, then how will any of these other things happen? If we're always standing around the throne saying, holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb, then how are all these other things going to happen? When are we going to be exploring things? When are we going to be... What's, how does that work? Well, here's what I think. I think that the way the Bible depicts this worship, there is continual, nonstop, eternal worship of the king. There's no doubt. But think of it as the, the soundtrack of heaven. That in heaven, there is always resounding the praises of God as he's on the throne. But in the same way that as you're watching this, say, epic film, and you're watching this scene unfold and the soundtrack behind it is not, is not distracting your imagination from what you're seeing. It's enhancing the experience of everything you're seeing. That's what heaven's going to be like. So when you are exploring the, 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 the unbelievable facets of creation, the soundtrack's going to be resounding from, from every corner and every inch and every place in heaven of the praises unto God. It's never going to stop and it's going to be always going. And in the same way that sometimes, you know, sometimes when I'm studying, sometimes when I'm working, 
I, I put my headphones in and I just listen to praise music softly and it helps me to just focus. I can't hear any external noise around me. I can't hear the phone ring. I can't hear what's going on in the office outside. Uh, and so I can just listen to that. Well, every once in a while, they'll, a song will come or a chorus will, will hit me as I'm studying and I'll stop what I'm doing and I'll begin to engage with that and sing that. That's what heaven's like. For eternity, the soundtrack is going to be ringing and there, and it will always enhance everything that you're doing. And sometimes you will stop and you will worship and you will be engaged and then other times you will be, be enjoying heaven, but the presence of God and the resounding soundtrack will always be, be, be going and, and just filling heaven with that glorious worship. And so you'll always, we'll always be conscious of where we are and who's there with us always. Does that help you? We're not going to sing the same song over and over. I mean, come on. It's, and the thing is, is that you know people struggle with this concept. You know, there's, there's people who, who come to church and, 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 and faithfully come. And the best part of church is when it's over. As soon as the, the benediction is voiced and the door swings open. It's just get to the parking lot as fast as I can, get in my car and get on to the things I want to do. You know that I've got this box checked off. I've, 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 I've done my duty. I got my gold star with God or whatever in the world crazy thing they think. And I think to myself, man, I love church. I, I wish we had church all the time. I'm, I'm excited about, I mean, Saturdays, I'm excited about Sunday. And, and Tuesday, I'm excited about Wednesday. And I, I mean, I, and when I'm, when I'm sitting there and we're, we're singing this morning, did you notice this morning when, after the offertory was gone and, and then Todd was here and they were playing, they were playing Here I Am to Worship. And then there was this awkward moment where he's shaking his head at me. Like I was lost in the moment. <laughs> like it was, okay, we're done. It's time for you to come preach. And I was just over there kind of in a daze. And then I had to go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's my time to come. Because I was just in the moment. I, there's something about just singing praises unto God and, and engaging. You know, tonight singing those songs about how all will be well. And all these passages are in my head about, yet yeah, they really are all going to be well. It's all going to be well. It really is. So heaven is going to be, it's going to be us eternally engulfed in a symphony of praise, but not relegated to some mechanical singing over and over forever and ever. The fourth reason why heaven is going to be spectacular is because we're going to work. We're going to serve the Lord. 
And, of course, this is another thing that's been really heavy on my heart. Uh, some of the misunderstanding about this that we can clear up tonight. In Revelation 22, verse 3, the Scripture says, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God, uh, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. Now, what does that mean? You know, when you read that, some people envision that, that so we're going to be in heaven, and I guess we're going to be singing as we do it, and we'll be like carrying platters of grapes or something up the steps of the throne and then handing it to God and then going back and refilling it and then turning around and going up the steps and handing it. Now, if that's what it was going to be, it would still be worth it. it would, he's still worthy and it would still be great. But is that what that means? Is that what is that what work is going to be like in heaven? Now, see, we couldn't have possibly had this conversation without the context that we got last week about our discussions about Eden. Yeah, we're going to work in heaven. We're going to serve the Lord in heaven. Remember when Jesus told the parable about the the talents and the faithful steward. And remember when Jesus gets to the end of the, the parable of the faithful steward and He says that, that those who are faithful in the small things will be entrusted with the large things. That if you're, if you're faithful in this life, you're going to be entrusted to greater things in the next. You remember that? How Jesus would bring that, that, that teaching into that he would, he would teach us what it means here and then He would teach us what it means in eternity. What does He... What does he mean by that? Well, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul says, Do not, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, you are unworthy to judge the smallest matters. Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? You see that there's going to be, there's going to be greater things that we're going to work and we're going to serve, but What are we going to do? It's not going to be the kind of work. It's not going to be the kind of serve that you think of when you think about this life. Our our responsibilities are going to be greater. Our opportunities are going to be far greater. But our surroundings are going to be supernaturally all renewed and remade in a way in which we can't even understand. So in the same way in Eden, for example, prior to sin... All Adam had to do and Eve had to do was just sort of steward the garden. They just sort of tended to it. Nobody was sweating. Nobody was digging. Nobody was getting stuck by thorns. Nobody was, there was no labor involved in it. You you just, he would just throw the seed on the ground and then it would just sprout right up. That was the labor. The labor was just going, okay, there you go. So when, when, The Bible talks about working in heaven. We'll work. We'll be productive. We'll do things. But what will it be like? So I thought about this. I thought, now, how can I explain this? How can I get you to understand what I think it means to work in heaven? And here's the best thing I got. That every so often I stand right there. Podium's out of the way. There's flowers and candles and all sorts of things up here. And on this side of me will be a very well-dressed, extraordinarily nervous, usually profusely sweating young man. And then back there will be a young lady in this beautiful white gown. 
and I'll do this and everyone will stand and we'll all turn around and the doors will fling open and the music will begin to play and she'll come walking down that aisle and I'm telling you, that moment when he first sees her and that's his bride, that's the one that has captivated his heart. That's who he's going to spend the rest of his life with. And she is radiant and beautiful beyond belief. And she's coming down. And there's just this this magical moment that happens right there. Now, when those doors open and she begins walking from there to here, She has to exert energy to walk from there to here, just like she does when she walks anywhere she's ever walked in her life. She has to work to get from there to here. That's the kind of work you're going to do in heaven. You're going to do the kind of work to where no bride is standing back there, the doors fling open, and then she looks and goes, that's a long way. I don't think I can muster the... I don't really feel like walking that far. I don't really think I'm going to make it all the way down to where he is. I think I'm going to need somebody to carry me. Isn't there an easier way? Can't we install a conveyor belt? Isn't there something? Well, of course not. And that's the point. The point is is that, that she's working, but it's not work like we think of work. It's not work that's being hindered. It's, it's work that is attached to such extraordinary joy and pleasure and, and fulfillment that you don't even, you don't even sense that it's work. But you are doing something and you are, you are being productive, but it is so rewarding that you, you don't even, you have to stop and actually think about the fact that you're actually exerting to accomplish it. Does that make sense? That's the best I got. That's what work is in perfection. You see, that's work apart from sin. It is joyous. Listen, when the Bible says that God works, six days God labors and then the seventh day He rests. When He's working, how is He working? Is He straining? Is He exerting? Now, he's doing and he's accomplishing and he's producing, but but how is that happening to him? Is he in heaven? Is he resting because he's tired? Oh, no. Oh, no. The, the seventh day has nothing to do with being tired. Nothing. He's not tired. He's resting because rest is good. He's working because work is good. You're going to work that way. You're going to work... With no hindrance of sin. And you've never worked that way here. And the only thing that I can draw any correlation to would be that bride working her way down that aisle. So we'll work, but it's going to be spectacular. And the last thing that makes me absolutely sure that heaven is going to be spectacular is really the most important thing at all, and that's that we're going to be enjoying the presence of Jesus. That Jesus is going to be there. 
that he's not just going to be there, but he's going to be right there. He's not going to be there and distant, but he's going to be right there. That, that you and me and everyone else that calls him Abba Father is going to look into his face. That we're not going to have to wait in line. We're not going to have to take turns. That the glory and splendor of God is such that I don't understand how. All I know is that He is omnipresent. All I know is that His presence and His glory and His splendor is such that we will look into the glory and the face of God all the time. Whenever we want to, it'll be right there. It'll be, it'll always be accessible. That we're not, there's not going to be these borders or hindrances or, you know, it's not like going to Disney World and you, you get to ride this fantastic ride, but you got to wait in line for three hours to get to it. So the whole time you're wondering, I don't know, is this worth it? I mean, come on, maybe we'll come back later or no, you don't wait in line. God's presence is right there amongst his people, always accessible, always available. The Bible says we're going to see His face in Revelation 22, 4. That His name is going to be on our foreheads. In other words, we're going to, we're going to know that we're His. We're going to be, we're going to be owned by Him and we're going to know that we're His. We're going to, that we're, you're never going to look in the mirror and not know that you are His son or His daughter. You're never going to, you're never going to, you can't forget the fact that you're His beloved. You can't, you can't, there's not going to be a day where you feel a little further away from than a different day. That all the ups and downs of this life are gone. That it's consistently always phenomenally great all the time. Every moment, every second of every day. Because His presence is right there. And His presence is constantly affirming us. And we have intimacy and joy with Him. And we know that we're His and we'll, we'll know that He loves us. All the time, every day, every moment. 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul talking all about love. And he, he comes to verse 12 and he says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but one day we're going to see face to face. Now I know in part that yes, this, this fantastic four-letter word, love, this amazing experience of love and how... Love is, it, it drives us crazy in this life and we, we, we clamor for it and we cling to it and we try to protect it and harness it and nurture it and care for it. And it, but it's so slippery and elusive in so many ways. But when you get to heaven, it won't be that way. It's going to engulf you like a cloud. It's going to, it's going to come around you and sustain you at every moment that what you see now in part, you're going to see then. Fully, you're going to be, you're going to know just as you're known. Jesus is going to be right there all the time. That I, I don't know. I mean, I can't stand up here and just start reeling off things that you're going to be doing. You know why? Because it would just make a mockery of what you're actually going to be doing. You're going to be doing things that, that make your heart leap for joy. And they're going to be different things than other people are doing. 
that you're going to be doing things that you love to do. And I'm going to be doing things that I love to do. And we're all going to be doing all these things that we love to do. And we're all going to be, be experiencing all these things that we love to experience. And you're never going to be doing something or experiencing something that's not phenomenally fantastic in every possible way. It's nothing's ever going to get old. It's never going to run out. It's not going to dry up. There's not going to be times where you where this is just, well, that season's over and now I'm going to go do that. It's not going to be that way. It's just forever and ever and on and on as much as you possibly want. And in the midst of all that, in the midst of everything that's going on all the time, 10,000 years from now, in the midst of that, whatever you're doing then is going to be just as exciting as what you were doing before. But in the midst of it all, there is His presence right there with you anytime. You just look into His face anytime. You can see Him. He's there with you always. Always. And you will always know that you are His. Always. You'll always be his son. You'll always be his daughter. You'll always be his beloved child. That by far, the absolute greatest thing about heaven is Jesus. Nothing even compares to that. All of the things that I've talked about just go out the window in comparison to the reality that there he is. Just think through Just think through the moments in Scripture. Think through Moses and his encounters with God. He's standing in the desert. It's a long way from paradise. A bush that's burning in front of him. Or he's on top of a mountain in the cleft of a rock. And just the the glimmer of God's glory goes by. And I mean, he's not, he's not in paradise in any stretch of the imagination. And yet the, this moment as God just gives him a, a tiny little sliver of what, what is his glory and he's glowing. And as he's coming down the mountain, do you think that, that anything else is, is, is on his mind that he's, he's thinking about other, anything else he'd rather have been doing or something else that he was somewhere else he could have been or he is, totally just blown away by what's just happened. And it's not until he gets down to the bottom of the mountain then he has to face the reality of all the chaos that's going on down there. But don't you know all he wants to do is go back up there? And that's not paradise. I mean, there's John on this. He's not in paradise. He's been banished to this island. He's alone. And he's old and he hurts and he's, he's falling apart and he's decrepit and he's, he's writing these amazing things and God's giving him visions of heaven and he's trying to, he's trying to put words to what he's seeing that, that he's never seen anything like and he's trying to make it in such a way that we could somehow get a glimpse into what he's saying. Otherwise he's just babbling. He's not anywhere near heaven. He's not anywhere near paradise in that moment. But do you think he's... you think he wants to be anywhere else? You think when he wakes up on Patmos and realizes, oh, wait a minute, here I am, I'm still here. That he thinks, oh, good. Hopefully I can live here another ten years. He couldn't die quick enough. Listen, 
Jesus is going to be right there face to face with you and me in heaven. Randy Alcorn wrote a book about heaven that I enjoyed in the process of preparing to talk about this for a few weeks. And he says in that book, he makes the statement, the day I die will be the best day I ever lived. You see, that's what happens when you get done writing a book about what the Bible has to say about heaven. You just say, the day I die will be the best day I've ever lived. I don't know any other way to say it. It is going to be spectacular beyond our wildest imagination. And we're going to be there. We're going to be there. So press on, saints of God. Pick your heads up. You know, when you feel weary for doing good, when you feel tired for for straining and striving, when, when, you, when the waywardness and the brokenness of this world makes you want to quit fighting, it makes you want to just throw in the towel or give up, when, you're, when you feel like, the, like Asaph in Psalm 73 and you look around you and you go, is this really working out for me? Is this really paying off for me? Is this deal really, really going to... Am I really going to make it here? Because it seems kind of ridiculous in light of everything I'm seeing. Just stop for a moment. And whisper to yourself under your breath. My citizenship is not here. Maybe the reason why I always feel so at odds with everything around me is because I don't belong here. I'm a square peg in a round hole as long as I'm on this earth. But when it cashes in, my goodness... Is it going to cash in? For you, for me, for every person whose sin is covered by the blood of Christ. Now, you don't think there's going to be worship in heaven? Are you kidding me? When the reality of how great that is and how undeserving we are and what Jesus did to enable us to experience this that kind of worship, if it were to happen to us right now, we would just explode into a thousand pieces. We simply couldn't handle it. Well, let's stand and bow our heads. Father, it's good to think. It's good to ponder. It's good to allow Your Word to draw us into what you have in store for your children. Lord, I, I thank you so much for that which you tell us about heaven. I am so grateful that you give us what we can handle. And Lord, that it, how it affects our experience here on earth. And Lord, there's, there's so much on this earth that hurts us so deeply and 
Father, it, the, the betrayal and the loss and the separation and the longing and all of the questions and the wondering why. And yet, Lord, one day it's all going to be made well. All of it. And you're going to be there, Father. We're going to be able to look into your face. And every one of us, every one of us that's your child, we will forever know for all eternity that we are yours. There'll never be a moment that we ever feel insecure, that we ever feel any separation whatsoever from you. We will always be utterly and completely wholly accepted and intimately connected with you forever and ever and ever. That the greatest moment we've ever experienced in this life, maybe the moment of salvation, the moment where we realize that we've been grafted into your family and our sin has been forgiven, it pales in comparison to what we will experience every second of every day for all eternity in heaven. You are so great, we don't even know how great you are. We don't even know how loving you are. You are phenomenal in every way. And we just give you glory and praise tonight. God, just help us to to just be still and to think about what awaits us. What our loved ones are are doing right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. We're the ones who labor and suffer. The best is yet to come, Lord. We thank you for that. So, Father, as we just pause for a moment and just allow our hearts to be touched by you, Lord. We just bless us and encourage us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for overcoming. All of our sin, Lord. Thank you. That what started in the Garden of Eden leads us through this redemptive story to restore paradise once again in even a newer and greater way so that we can all be together as you intended. As if none of this pain and suffering had ever happened. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. We love you tonight. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. In the powerful, wonderful, amazing name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.